The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Mike. I can practically taste it. Hockey is almost here. By the time we sit down next week to record, hockey will be playing again. In fact, I will probably have spent all day Saturday watching real live, fresh games of NHL playoff hockey. So the first real games are what? Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Saturday? Saturday the 1st. Nice. Uh, I I was actually... Go ahead. No, I was just going to say I was actually out last night with a friend of mine. Uh, We were on our way back from what seemed like a complete tour of the western part of the state. Uh, Enjoyable. A lot of driving. But on the way back, stopped to get something to eat. And the young lady that uh, took our money at the end of the night liked my mask you know we have to wear the masks but i've got one that has the original six teams on it and she told me how much she liked it she really liked it did i have somebody that specifically made it just for me and and i told her i had another one that had just bruins logos on it and i thought you and i were the only people i knew that were really excited about hockey coming back but this this woman this young lady was just uh, she was as excited as we were that real hockey was coming back and that she was going to get to sit down and she's already taken the day off so that she could watch hockey. <laughs> Good for her. I was just, I was, yes, I praised her up and down and, 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 and told her of course to enjoy the hockey and, 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 and Hopefully, you know, at some point, if we ever drove out west again, we might talk again, but it's not going to happen as far as I can tell. I mean, but it was just it was nice to see that there were other and hear from other people that hockey's really coming back and they're excited because I've talked to other people and other sports have beaten them back. The You know, the, the, the baseball is back and. I've actually been watching lacrosse, uh, which is an intriguing sport to watch on TV. I haven't quite got all the rules down yet. So lacrosse it was nice. Is, it, lacrosse is like may actually be my second or third favorite sport to watch on TV. Well, in that case, you'll be happy to know that today is the final of the they basically played their entire season in five days. Ooh. or nine days or something no i'm sorry the regular season basically what they did is they had a round robin like the like hockey is doing um and it was like the top five or six teams and they eliminated two of them so they have the final four they had the semifinals yesterday the final is today so it's basically been over the last week week and a half that they've done this they had like one day off in between uh, in some cases, they were playing two games back to back. It was, yeah, you could see the way you could see the effect it was taken. By the time they got to the fifth or sixth game or whatever it was, they all looked a little bit wary. <laughs> I can't imagine why, but it, 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 it's enjoyable. And the 
I'm I'm sitting there watching, thinking the goaltenders have no pads. That's dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing on their legs, anyway. I'm sure they all have upper body chest protect, you know, shoulders, shoulder yes. pads, and whatnot. But nothing on their legs, except for this big wide scoop. And I'm like, okay, they're firing this rubber ball at you at, I'm sure, quite uh, fast speeds. And you're just, you've got this big net in front of you and that's it. Okay, good call. (laughs) I mean, I, I probably not watched nearly as much lacrosse as I should. Um, But... In watching lacrosse, it's surprising how few balls end up traveling into the net between, like, hip and knee height. It seems like they're above the waist or below the ankle, uh, avoiding uh, avoiding the uh, avoiding the goaltender's net. I have no. I ha- I had noticed that the, a lot of the goals are. Uh, up shoulder high. I mean, and, and I, I guess that makes sense. I mean, you got the, that big hoop net down below. And, and I didn't mean to get off on this rant, but I'm just enjoying a little lacrosse. Anyway, back to the hockey, because that's what we're here for. That's the rumor. Oh, yeah, that's true. So, oh, yes, back to hockey. Yeah, um, back to hockey. One thing that we have finally, 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 finally found out that is at least to one locality more important than everything else that has happened since uh, the agreement to resume play. Oh, boy. Seattle has a name. (laughs) Specifically, Seattle's NHL team, which will uh, debut in the 22 uh, season, Mm -hmm. finally has a name. A name that didn't leak. And Much. and whether you love it, like it, or just okay with it, a name that doesn't suck. And really? Honestly, given some of the other things that were running around. Well, yes, okay. There were some really bad ones out there. <laughs> really, really bad ones. I mean, I don't know that the NHL could take another Minnesota mild, I mean, wild franchise name. Or, uh, let's face it, I don't even know that I like the Washington Capitals as a name. Try harder. Um, And you could say the same thing for... I nearly gagged when I found out what Winnipeg's name was going to be uh, when Atlanta relocated. The Jets? Um, Yeah. But it was the Jets already, so it made sense. I see why they did it. And no. Do something new. Are they still actually building jets at the same pace that they were 60 years ago in Winnipeg? I don't know. I'd have to look it up. The answer is probably not. Are you sure? Because I'm betting I'm betting you didn't look it up. The answer is <laughs> I don't care. It's oh, a silly. All right. Thing. That makes more sense. There we go. Okay. But I understand why they did it. It's like if if a team is put in Quebec again, most likely they're going to call them the Nordiques again. I will want to throw up. But it's it 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 it's what the fan base knew, even if it was a generation ago. That actually might they may actually change that name. 
I don't know why they didn't change the Jets, actually, because they went through the same. They had a long layoff before they got a team back. If it's been long enough that a new generation of fans has been born, then maybe, yeah, you should come back with a new name. But anyway, Seattle decides to go with, well, they they stole a line from some pirate movie somewhere, I'm sure, uh, where they said, unleash the Kraken. So we now have the Seattle Kraken. Uh, probably uh, Greek myth, but yeah. And, and well, that too. <laughs> I mean, the Kraken. The Kraken is at least something evocative, and some people have criticized the colors with three shades of blue. And I'm like, it, it's interesting. They, it's interesting it's, they did that because you've got Vancouver just slightly to the north that has blue in there. I mean, it. it uh, I don't. And I, San Jose, not very far south, who also has a lot of blue, although there's this there's teal. This teal, yeah. Um, but you know what? I mean, the NFL had the black and blue division for a while because all of the teams were either were some combination of black and blue for their jerseys, plus the physical, the heavy physical style. It's okay for them to have similar colors. All right. Well, uh, but considering considering that the Pittsburgh uh, uh, Penguins decided to steal the Bruins colors. Now, uh, there are some who would argue this this logic, but only because you know they they use black and yellow for their for the NFL franchise as well. But the Bruins are an original six team, have been wearing. They didn't start out black and gold, but they were black and gold before Pittsburgh came along. So, yes, Pittsburgh stole the colors. In black and gold before Pittsburgh had a team. Yeah, so sorry you stole the colors. You didn't like the one you had with the baby, with the, the, the whatever it was, baby blue or whatever color you had because you were the Seals. And you wanted something a little bit more masculine, so you stole the black and gold. Okay. And the thing is, is that they there were other color schemes that they could have gone with. I mean, uh, they could like have I gone said, with I, like a black and red, which honestly I think would have would have been nice and distinct. Well, it would have been uh, nice because they could have incorporated the. The thing is that they went with black and gold because the Steelers wear black and gold. The Pittsburgh Pirates in baseball wear black and gold. I understand why they did it, but, yeah, but to use to not to not admit to the fact that and and they never will admit to the fact that yes, you stole the Bruins' colors. <laughs> I mean, if they were going to, uh, I mean, what they could have honestly done is gone with something closer to the colors in the uh, Pittsburgh state flag. I mean, the Pittsburgh state flag has Pennsylvania. Uh, the Pennsburg, uh, Pennsylvania state flag okay. has uh, a a a uh, medium blue um, background. It has the two horses uh, who are black. Um, you've got a little bit of gold, um, but not much. And you've got that really nice shade of red. Mm-hmm. Um, so even even going with, I mean, that particular shade of red. Um, and or red and gold 
red and gold would actually be unique. I don't off the top of my head. Uh, maybe Arizona, sort of, kind of, uh, the Arizona Cardinals, kind of-ish. Red and gold, not really. But I can't think of a pro sports team on the in the eastern half of the country that mm-hmm. actually has red and gold as their color scheme. No, neither. No, I can't either. Uh, the closest would be. The closest would be, I think, Ottawa, but it's not really. It, it's more black and red with a hint of, of a goldish yellow or a yellowish gold color in the center of the logo or or minor stripes or whatever they call it. But, yeah, that's probably the closest you're going to come. Or maybe, you know, I was going to say the Panthers, but they're more red and blue, not black. And, and they got yellow in there, but that's about it. Yep. Um, and, uh, and going back, I mean, the Panthers, I, I'm not even sure the Panthers were present. <laughs> yeah, true. So we've got the Kraken. We've got our 32 teams. And we're all, exci- we're all excited. And they jumped right into the social media game saying that <laughs> their plans were to, uh, now they had to get back to their plans to draft your favorite player. Ouch. <laughs> I love that um i think that especially now with the nhl rebuilding its viewership from another work stoppage not their fault but still another work stoppage um that seattle especially uh needs to make sure that they are not forgotten in all of the buzz of everything that has happened um, in the last, uh, in the last 10 months or well, seven months, I guess. Okay. Uh, it's going to be interesting to follow their social media over the next year. We saw how, and, and they continue to do, uh, how they, how Vegas has utilized social media, uh, expressly Twitter to really drum up excitement. And I stay, I still say it to this day, whoever it is that runs the social media uh, for Las Vegas Golden Knights should get some kind of an award because they were brilliant when they first started out and they've managed to keep it at stay a high level. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it's like the LA Kings. I mean, they were the first team that actually had a really strong, really entertaining and yes. slightly edgy social media ca- uh, campaign. Well, they were edgy without – they didn't insult. And, and same thing with Vegas. They they were edgy but didn't insult, didn't put down. Uh, if they did, it was very much buried in, in – what is that thing called? It begins with an S. Oh, sarcasm. sarcasm. Sar- saffron, yes, yeah, sarcasm, yeah. Oh. <laughs> If you say so, I I, I wouldn't I, have noticed. Okay, enjoyable, um, and I think that I think if Seattle can utilize the social media to that effect, they will have no problem generating followers and excitement of their own. Uh, it it has been one of the it has been one of the underlying themes in all of the stories that I've been looking up for this week's show. No matter what team you clicked on, 
there was something about who was going to get taken by Seattle. So oh, the yeah. focus has clearly shifted now that they've got the name out of the way and the identity out of the way. Now the focus um, has clearly shifted to let's talk about who they're going to take, who they could take, will they take this one, are they going to take that one, and some players who come out and said that they're not going to play for him. <laughs> uh, and, of course, Ron Francis uh, was on TV the other day talking about you know building – the team uh, at this point. Uh, they obviously don't have a head coach yet. Um, they're going to start building their scouting staff um, up a little bit further. He's not yet sure how whether he's going to have building access or they're going to have to do remote scouting. Um, uh, it's, uh, I guess you could, in some ways you can say the real work is now, it's now time for the real work to begin. Um but I think that uh, Seattle is probably Seattle absolutely needs to be overshadowed by the playoffs. And I think we should just kick off uh, what's going to be a decent amount of today's programming um, with a uh, the top story for uh, for each of the 24 playoff teams uh, heading into the playoffs. Uh, what do you got uh, for the first couple of teams on your list, or pick two to start with? Uh, in research, in, in doing some research, there has been, I found, as I as I said earlier, a whole lot of, not a lot. <laughs> a lot of the teams are saying the right things, doing the right things. Uh, Toronto, for example. Uh, Toronto's biggest, uh, and as we talked about prior to the show, Toronto's biggest news story is that they aren't playing the Bruins in the first round. <laughs> and that may be their best hope for at least building a tiny bit of momentum. Um, the other thing I noted on here while researching was uh, in looking up their 31-man roster for Toronto, wow, they get to play in their own building. That's Something's not right about that. Uh, the thirty man, the thirty one man roster. The thing that I wrote down here is how many names don't I recognize? Apparently, they bring in three guys with the last names of Engvall, Gauthier, and I don't even remember what the third one was. It, it's they're it's scary. I don't. Uh, Robertson is the third one, and I don't even know who these guys are. But they made it to the final practice. Um. And they're bringing in their defense is meh at best. They're rolling with it's Pierre Engvall, by the way, not the comedian. Uh, oh, Frederick, okay. And I was, and I lied, I Frederick Gauthier. I do know the name. I lied. I do know Frederick Gauthier. And isn't this like uh, unfortunately like his third team? Uh, wasn't he like with like somewhere else like Nashville or or? Yeah, he. I, I'm almost positive this is his like second or third NHL team, and he's only like two years, three years past his draft. That's uh, generally not the best sign. There's just, but go ahead. Yeah, not much, not much ado about Toronto, and they're they're not playing with the Bruins. Yeah, it's it's just I don't expect much of this team, and I don't know what they're doing to. 
I don't know what they're doing to get their fan base excited in Toronto, aside from the fact that they're one of the hub cities. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not seeing anything on here that's exciting. They've got the same... Yes, they've got Austin Matthews, they've got uh, William Nylander, they've got Kasperi Kapanen, but they haven't done anything to address the issues on defense. I, I think that the biggest thing for them, particularly... Uh, given how what they looked like at the end of the or when the season paused, um, they're healthy right now. They they ha- they had okay. had a couple of injuries. Unfortunately, that's also the big story for quite a few teams. But uh, I think that being healthy and giving the new head coach uh, or the head coach more time to study film and in theory apply some of that new knowledge or refined knowledge might actually allow him to eke out a tiny bit more from this team. And the only other thing that would make me nervous is there's literally a story 12 hours ago came out on Maple Leafs hot stove and it's it's titled Sheldon Keefe quote we have decisions to make here in terms of our bottom six and how that shakes out uh okay like the games start in five days six days uh, you might want to speed that up a little there Sheldon you might want to <laughs> okay I understand he has a job to do and that he has to attend the press conferences. But honestly, anywhere in the NHL, anywhere in the NHL, is there a bottom six that's going to get less attention than in Toronto? Well, this is true, too. But I'm just we thinking. Have it, Mitch I Marner and Austin Matthews in that order. Um, is and, he really affecting that much change? This is my issue. Is he really affecting that much change? The coaches should know their teams, even though they haven't played for the last four months. They still know what their players are, what they're capable of. They know what lines they were running prior to the pause. You have a general idea. Okay, fine. You want to make some last-minute tweaks. You're bringing in a new name. you got a youngster that's on the black aces or whatever you want to call them that you're going to use. Okay, I understand that. But to have the whole bottom six still up in the air? I, I little, genuinely hmm. doubt it's actually the whole bottom six, but uh, as far as as far as uh, another team, let's say uh, let's go West Coast, Vancouver. I love Vancouver. Uh, not a whole lot of information. I think the best news for Vancouver is the fact that Brock Besser is still a Canuck, <laughs> and. And Quinn Hughes has been nominated for the Calder Award. I mean, as he, sh- as, as he as should he sh- win. Uh, yeah, you and I slightly disagree on that. I'm not saying that he shouldn't win it. He's definitely got the the skills. He's got the chops. But uh, he's played more games. But that's another argument for another time. But seriously, Benning's got the. I mean, that team is is young and, and healthy, with the exception of Markstrom. Uh, and goaltending is clearly still their biggest issue in my case, although defense is, is, is a second. But they're young, they're hungry, Besser's still there. I, I like their chances, at least getting out of the first round anyway. 
in the qualifying round. Mm-hmm. Uh, above them, I've got Chicago Blackhawks. I know I'm jumping around here. I should have laid this out a little bit better. Chicago's biggest news is that Corey Crawford, who had tested with a plus sign, positive, uh, actually returned to practice. He's back with the team prior to traveling, so he is okay to travel, good to go. Uh, This is huge for them because other than Crawford, their goaltending situation is now Malcolm Subban, uh, Anton Forsberg, and probably a couple of people that they aren't going to take to uh, Edmonton with them. <laughs> so Are you it, insinuating something? I'm insinuating that when they had Leonard as the backup, you didn't have to panic. If Corey Crawford couldn't play, there might be a little... I don't know. I like Malcolm Subban, but I don't know if he can handle a number one job yet. He hasn't had to do it. Uh, he hasn't and, shown he can do it either. As much as I found him uh, personable, uh, engaging, and he's clearly a superior athlete. Um, I don't know that he's a number one NHL goaltender yet. Um, The other big story with Chicago involves a defenseman that you and I both really like. Uh, Me maybe more than you, but both of us like him. Brent Seabrook will not be traveling with the team he's not going to Edmonton uh, he's questioning his place on the team it looks like his time in Chicago is done uh, you know I what? have to look up I'm sure he's still got some term left on his contract because he's got a long one like Duncan Keith does if I'm not mistaken I think his may be longer uh, I want to say his is actually longer um, but I you know what? He's he won a couple of cups while he was there. He played a key role in he's those. Got, uh, yeah, he's got nothing to hang his head nothing to hang his head about as far as his career in the NHL. Yeah, um, except that Keith's, he got hosed as far as a Norris because Duncan Keith is more offensively. Uh, uh, I don't want to say gifted, but just he's a more offensive defenseman yeah. than Seabrook is, so he gets noticed. Keith, uh, Keith's contract ends in 22-23. Um, Seabrook's contract ends in 23-24. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've gotten through three quick teams. Um, let me just grab three here real quick. Sure. Uh, <clears throat> another team uh, that's, uh, uh, that's fairly interesting up front and slightly more interesting than most of us probably realize um, coming out of camp in Edmonton, um, the another team who doesn't have to travel very far to get to uh, their hub city. Um, they may actually have a top nine, not a top six. Um, coming out of camp, the Edmonton Journal has... Uh, their top three lines uh, listed as McDavid uh, and Cassian uh, flanking Nugent Hopkins, Kaylee Yamamoto between uh, Leon Dreisaitl and Tyler Ennis. Um, and then 
uh, Andreas Athanasiu uh, on the line with uh, Sheehan and Josh Archibald. Well, it's good um, that they it's good that they put Athanasiu with Riley Sheehan. It is, it is Riley Sheehan. I believe so. Yeah. Riley Sheehan has has more difficulty scoring goals than any center really has a right to. He's a he's a good faceoff man. Not fabulous, not great, but he's a pretty good faceoff man. But it's good they put Athanasio there, so maybe he can become more of a distributor, and Athanasio will actually score a few goals. Because if you're relying on Riley Shane to score, he just doesn't. He went through a whole season, and he got to game like 80 or 79 before he scored his first goal of the season. I may be exaggerating a little bit, but this was back when he was – Prior to Pittsburgh, I'm trying to remember where he was. Oh, I think it was Detroit. <laughs> May well have been. Um, and the big thing with Edmonton is that their 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 other savior, not Mick Savior, but their other savior, Leon Dreisaitl, has been nominated for uh, more than one award coming up in the coming up at the end of the year. And one that he should later. he should win, but yeah, we can do awards later. So what else do we got for Edmonton? Top nine? They've got a top nine. I'm still concerned uh, it's about a top their nine defense. that still has some competition because there. Uh, if you read the, uh, there's an article on the Edmonton Sun mm-hmm. um, where they're talking about people pushing back and forth within those uh, within those three lines. Someone's going to be the odd man out. Um, and uh, let's see, who is the, or yeah, you're Riley Sheehan. Um, and this doesn't even talk about uh, James Neal and what his health is going to be like. Um, I just, uh, that team, like I said, it, the worry with that their team forwards, is. Their forward group is probably the best in the West. Um, maybe Winnipeg is better, but that's about it. Um, let's see. Uh, coming back a little bit closer to East, John Tortorella is in full <laughs> playoff mode. And that's oh, really kind of gorgeous. Not please only tell me is, that he said something or done <clears throat> something or kicked somebody well, here. He's John Tortorella in the playoffs, at least to me, is well, his colorful uh, interviews and uh, podium appearances are generally hilarious. One of the one of the things that typifies his playoff performance to me is how much distraction he creates that takes attention away from the players and how, how smoothly he does it. Yes. It's how smoothly he does it. And the fact that it, it, the pressure he takes off of them and the fact that nobody picks up on, they just immediately focus on him. I mean, who wouldn't, it's John Tortorella, but he's, he's a genuinely magnetic personality anyways. He does it on purpose and it works. So one part of this 
feature of this uh, of the discussion for Columbus is big, big story in the Columbus Dispatch by Brian Hedger. Um, headline: Coach John Tortorella wonders if Columbus Blue Jackets are prepared for series. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? And that, the article a- goes on and on about preparation and taking things seriously and intensity and guys can't ease into it. Like it's the start of the regular season. They really need to jump into it and play playoff hockey immediately. Mm -hmm. And you get to the bottom of the article. And yeah, I'm really only worried about two or three guys. (laughs) He doesn't say which guys because Honestly, do they that. haven't done anything wrong yet. Right. Um, they, they they've really got to mis they they they've got to misbehave before he starts calling them out by name. Uh, he he will give you a chance before he cuts your legs out from underneath you in public with yes. a rusty spoon. Um, and then uh, he's already making tweaks and changes, uh, and failure proofing the team to the best of his ability. Um, for the most part, you see a lot of NHL teams go with, uh, one defenseman on the power play. Yeah. yeah he's not going to do that. Uh, first power play unit is going to feature Seth Jones and Wierenski. Um, well, well I guess we're healthy. I guess Wierenski is, is, uh, a decent offensive defenseman. So, you're not losing anything by putting him out there for offense and, and you got Seth Jones backing him up. So you're not hurting yourself by putting two defensemen out there when it's those two. And they're, uh, they, they both become better by, uh, they're by playing together on the power play. Uh, Allison Lucan, uh, of the first Ohio battery, um, in an article titled the many benefits of deploying Seth Jones and Zach Gorensky on the same power play unit includes a heat chart of where their individual shots are. And they're virtually identical from, you know, a few feet inside uh, the blue line uh, for both of them. Uh, although Jones is a little bit more spread out um, to when you put them together, you get shots from, uh, Jones is down to a foot outside the crease. Uh, Wierenski ranges from nearly from dot to dot uh, and back out. And Jones shades slightly more uh, to the left hand side, uh, but still has a couple still has a decent cluster of shots uh, towards the top of the right circle. Um, there's. I think that this is good for not just the power play uh, because these two guys have played a lot of ice hockey together. Um, but it also leaves the other pairs together. So you don't have a unfamiliar pairing coming on the ice immediately after a power play. Um, and I think that this is going to be a key for them, uh, both in producing on the power play and in the response minute, the vulnerable minute, as Jack Edwards and other announcers have taken to calling it mm-hmm. uh, after a power play. Um, 
it's it's weird to say that John Tortorella is that team's biggest star, but sometimes he actually is. And that's kind of surprising given that Seth Jones is a pretty much a consensus top five NHL defenseman. Being Klein, yeah. Uh, but John, I mean, John Totorella, he just, I, he's, he's he clearly is. forgotten. He's clearly forgotten more about hockey than you or I will ever know. Uh, that's, that's okay. Uh, the problem is, is that he's clearly forgotten more about hockey than a lot of general managers and coaches, other coaches in the league will ever know. And <laughs> that, that, may that not tends to uh, not do well for them. Uh, Let's you a, talk Pittsburgh. You a third team? Ah, why? <laughs> oh, wait, they're in the league. And they're in the playoffs. You know, it might be time for the Pittsburgh Penguins to hang a mission accomplished uh, banner uh, over their, you know, suite of rooms, mm-hmm. possibly in, you know, one of their game rooms uh, up in Toronto when they get there. Okay. Uh We've been talking the talk for, what, a year and a half, two years at this point. The Penguins wanted to get tougher. Oh, goodness. Not this again. <laughs> Sorry. The Penguins needed to get tougher. I mean. Well, yes, because when you have Ryan Reeves and you decide that you'd rather trade him away, clearly you recognize the fact that you need to get tougher. As it happens. Oh, in their scrimmage, mm-hmm. uh, they had two guys uh, drop the gloves and attempt to get after it. Uh, Wait, they traded away. They traded away Galchenyuk, which was the guy they brought in because they needed to get tougher. tougher. And they traded McCann him away to the wild. And Tanev uh, started uh, <clears throat> started trying to rearrange the others. Each other's facial features. Wait, wait, wait. They were the inter-squad scrimmage? They were fighting yes. Pittsburgh penguin on penguin crime here? Yes. That means they have not one, but two willing, combatant, kill, uh, willing combatants on the team. McCann and Tana fighting each other. Okay. Yeah. Maybe Sullivan needs to indicate to them that they're supposed to be fighting the other team. <laughs> Guys that engaged in practice can drive a team forward. Uh, I'm not sure how many fights Ray Bork got in in practice, but he was one of those guys who other people complained about played too hard. These guys were these guys were playing to the edge of their ability. Neither one of them is probably going to the Hall of Fame without paying admission. But um, hey. They did what they thought was best to push their team forward, and okay. Pittsburgh might just might just have that toughness they're looking for on their roster. This one My diff- question is, Go ahead. how much will the rest of the t- team follow up on that? Well, I was just going to say, there's one big difference between McCann and Tanev fighting each other, trying to do whatever they're trying to do for the squad. And somebody like uh, Ray Bork, or even in Boston Bruins camp, Brad Marchand, is apparently chucking and and 
hitting people with cross checks and, and getting a little and, and being physical and, and there's one difference Marshand is top 10 in the league in points if I'm not mistaken Ray Bork is a Hall of Fame defenseman and I think his credentials speak for themselves uh, McCann and Tanev are neither of those things they, in other words, contributing to the best the, of their the, ability. The players that no are passengers. doing the influencing. No passengers. Okay. All right. What else do Next. you get on Pittsburgh? Nothing? You know, that's that's my story. I like uh, okay. I like the physicality. I like <laughs> passion, and I do want to see where they go with it. Wait, who did they bring in for Galchenyuk after Galchenyuk was supposed to be the tough guy? They, uh, didn't they trade Galchenyuk for Kessel and then no Galchenyuk came Galchenyuk came in for Kessel because they needed to get Topper. This was after they had gotten rid of Reeves the season before because they Reeves was too tough. I don't even remember. Exactly. Thank you very much. <laughs> Pick an identity. Stick with it. That's my advice. <laughs> Where are we going from here? We've got six uh, teams out next of... Next three. Ah, uh, all right, all right. We'll jump back. We'll jump back to the east. Ah, uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, The biggest story I could find is that, well, one was Stamkos coming back to camp. He, he was healthy after whatever his magic injury was that healed rather quickly. Um, and he looks good, and for all intents and purposes, the team looks good. The biggest thing I could find is that they signed a guy by the name of Sean Day. He's a defenseman, one-year, two-way contract, very exciting stuff. He played in the he played for the Hartford Wolfpack. He's also played in Maine for the Maine whatever the ECHL team is in Maine. Uh, apparently, he's somewhat offensive-minded, but. In the ECHL, he had a boatload of points, but not quite as much when he moved up to stepped up to Hartford. I don't see this as being a move that affects much of anything. They're pretty much carrying their roster to Toronto, and that's their story. They're sticking with it. There's nothing going on that I can find in Toronto. I mean, in Tampa Bay. Well, if you were looking in Toronto for stories about the Lightning, that, that might be the issue. Well, I could probably find some, like, hate speech type stuff or, or how much they don't like Tampa Bay or how Tampa Bay seems to outplay them all the time. Uh, <laughs> or, they have be- or they have better defensemen or... But anyhow, actual defensemen? More than actual, two? Actual defensemen. <laughs> Sorry. And since we're going to get into awards later, there are a couple of awards for Tampa Bay players as well, nominations. Uh, but, yeah, there's I couldn't find much. Uh, after the Stamkos thing, there's pretty much tight lip. Yeah, we're, we're taking our 31 to Toronto, and there's not any changes there. And I'm not really surprised because I don't expect much change out of John Cooper. And... Uh, in fact, that should be the change. I was hoping that would be the story, but it doesn't seem to have happened. If that were going to happen at 
any time. It should have been a couple of years ago when they were swept in the first round. Yeah, I know, but he's still there. So, ah, uh, speaking of the Minnesota mild, wild, mild, um, Greg Paterin is out indefinitely with an upper body injury. He's not joining the team. Their big rookie signing, Carol Kaprizov, will not be able to play for the Wild in this upcoming, well, everything. Uh, he's still stuck in Russia having visa issues, but even if he does make it over here, the best he can do is join the team. He can't actually take part. Mm-hmm. And this might excite. This was the biggest thing I could find, and it excited me. I don't know how much he's going to get to play, but a defenseman by the name of Matt Bartkowski has made the squad and is traveling with the Wild to their hub city. He does have NHL experience. He's a pretty solid, or he used to be a pretty solid skater. I can't claim to have seen him on the ice in the last year. That's what I'm saying. I don't know. As far as I know, he was playing AHL level. He wasn't anywhere on an NHL roster. So for him to – I understand that these teams are running and they're allowed to bring 31 players, which is uh, significantly more than the 22 they would normally have because they're going to need players in case of injuries and whatnot. So I don't expect that he's in their top six. But for him to actually be there, it, 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 it's a positive, and uh, maybe he's still got something to give. He's not an he's not an old player by any stretch of the imagination, and it would be nice to see him, you know, jump back in and, and crack the NH, crack an NHL squad again. Yes, yes, uh, huh. I I certainly enjoyed watching him play when he had uh, his head in the game. Um, it's uh, an open question what he'll be doing uh, next. Okay. I mean, it, it, there, there's not – their roster was set, and there was nothing surprising about their, their roster set. So, I, again, there's just nothing exciting. Like I said, it turns out that a lot of these teams are concerned with – who they are aren't going to lose to the Kraken. And for my next, uh, to finalize my next group of three, let's jump to, now we'll stay east, the New York Islanders. Um, the big thing here is that Matthew Barzal has apparently informed everybody Mm-hmm. He's informed everybody that he's not planning on going to the Seattle Kraken. Uh, tweeted out, he's uh, it's been a half joke, half concern that they were gonna that he was gonna get taken. It may it mostly stemmed from the fact that John Tavares was had left the team two years ago. He wants to stick around. He's not planning on going anywhere. He wants to be the face of the franchise. Mm-hmm. So he's just trying to let everybody know that he's not going anywhere. Um, Ilya Sorokin 
apparently will be joining the squad. But beyond that, uh, again, nothing exciting. So, your three teams? Okay. Um... Why don't we stick to, or let's go to Vegas. Um, Vegas has been an interesting blue class, a uh, blue collar team from the beginning, um, which is fairly interesting in a city that most people think of as glitzy and prone to, you know, laid back fun. Um, but the Golden Knights have put together a new physical line. They intend to go out there and make sure that everybody knows they are on the ice. Uh, we have a former Pittsburgh Penguin, uh, Ryan Reeves. We have one of the, uh, Jonathan Marchessault who... Uh, didn't the Florida Panthers not know what to do with him? Um, wasn't he there for like a year and then went to like, uh, went across the state, did well and was still lost in the, uh, expansion draft. Reeves? No, no, no. Marsha Salt. Oh, Marsha Salt. Uh... Uh, he kicked her. No, drafted, it was Tampa. He, it was Tampa was, first, then Florida. It was Tampa first, yes. And then he played. He played for a time in Florida. Was picked up in the expansion draft by Vegas and is now showing just what he can actually do. I think he was starting to show what he could do in Florida before oh, the I, a before thirty goal season draft. will do that. Yes. But for Vegas to nab him, yeah, good call. And as far as Ryan Reeves, yeah, he's definitely found a home in Vegas. I know they gave – didn't you just say they gave him an extension? Um, I don't remember off the top of my head. Uh, it may have been a couple of weeks back. Um, but Jonathan Marjasalt and Ryan Reeves will be joined by William Carrier, who kind of moves uh, – <clears throat> who kind of has the mass of an aircraft carrier. Um, if you have not seen this man hit, I don't know what, (laughs) what games you're attempting to watch. Uh, I still remember watching his hand, watching a handful of his Buffalo games before he was picked up in the expansion draft. Um, originally drafted by the blues. Um, this is actually, let's see. Uh, well, his draft rights had been moved a couple of times before, and this is his second team to actually play for. Mm-hmm. Um, not an offensively gifted player, uh, but still uh, enjoyed his best offensive season uh, with 19 points in 71 games this year. Um, if they can get a line like this to keep whoever their opponents are back on their heels you know, three, four shifts a game and maybe get two or three quality shots, get in a, uh, get in a, um, 
or create a few off, offensive zone faceoffs for uh, the top line, second line. They're doing their job, and I'd be hard pressed to think of a more physical line in the Western Conference uh, in these playoffs. And the other thing with the other thing with Vegas is that. Uh, they did actually ink a two-year extension in June. Yep. Uh, so he is 33 now. Give him another two years with Vegas. He's actually set career highs in points with Vegas. Uh, yep. And, in fact, this season he was on his way to potentially surpassing that before before the, the pause. Uh, this has been a, a revelation for, for him getting out there, actually getting comfortable, having a home, not moving around so much. Uh, he's looking good and, and all of the offense is just a bonus with him. It, it, it does make you wonder how much of a player's success is how well they're used and where, and where they land. I mean, he's, as you said, he's past 30. Uh, He's never been an offensive juggernaut. Uh, I mean, his career high in goals uh, at any level is 15 way back uh, in the Brandon Wheat Kings. Um, But for him to get uh, nine goals last season and then certainly a better goals per game um, and fairly close on the uh, points per game and uh, assists per game this year, it, it's significant. It, it means that he's still willing to put in the work in all phases of his game. He's buying in, and he's being noticed by the coaches for it. Um, that's only good for his career. Uh, it, it will also be fascinating to see what he does after he retires. Um, Coming uh, back out east, um, Mm -hmm. it's uh, not good news for uh, the Hurricanes. Uh, Dougie uh, Hamilton is going to be out weeks. um, Weeks? And weeks. Wow. No one is saying what that injury is, uh, but even though they're only facing the New York Rangers first um, that a, a two or three week injury might be the entirety of their playoffs. Uh, we heard, we heard rumblings in the past uh, last year, I believe last season, I believe it was of, you know, maybe already wanting to move on from Dougie Hamilton because I, a, a couple of reasons are possible, honestly. Um, it's going to be fascinating to see what Don Waddell and Rod Brindamore, uh, do when the off season finally arrives with, uh, Hamilton and, uh, company, because he's only got one more season left on his 5.75 million contract. Um, if he manages to get back and be healthy through a round of the playoffs, Maybe they move on from him. He's 27 years old. Um, he's had uh, serious ish injuries the last two years. 
Um, or maybe, no, actually, I'm sorry. It was this year and then going back a couple of years. Um, maybe they want to look for some other element uh, for the team. I guess it's going to depend on how the team performs without him. Okay. Um, perhaps one of the, uh, one of the other teams with, uh, with a, a, a key injury is the Washington Capitals. Uh, Ilya Samsonov, uh, his is what? Samsonova? Samsonov? Uh, Samsonov. Samsonov. Um, is not expected, is not going to play. He did not participate throughout, uh, throughout the, uh, preliminary, uh, practices and, uh, the second preseason, I guess we'd have to call it. So they're going um, with Holtby and Phoenix Copley? Sounds like it's going to be that, which means Braden Holtby has to be the Braden Holtby who helped them win the cup. He has to be uh, the Braden Holtby who frustrated the Boston Bruins and their fans for years and years and years, and not the guy who finished with a sub-900 save percentage this season. Um, he is also a free agent this year. Um, so for Braden Holtby, it's sink or swim time. You know, it's going to cost you millions if you finish the year with, uh, with a terrible, with a terrible playoff run. If you go in there and you have, even if you lose, but you only allow one goal in each of three games, You've done your part. If you go out and th- toss a shutout once, twice in the first two rounds, you're going to make at minimum what you're making now, probably more, even with the cap mm, fluctuation uh, expected. Okay. Uh, you had a couple of other things we wanted to talk about this week? Uh... No, uh, the the only story, the the biggest stories that I had were the fact that Seattle finally came up with a name and an identity. Uh, the other thing was the nominations for the awards, and I was actually finally able to pull together all of the awards nominate and, and the nominees. So I didn't know if you wanted to dive into them now or wait until the end. Um, why don't we run through the awards now? I mean, I think I know one of the Selkie Award nominees. Just a hunch. No. I mean, just a hunch, <laughs> nope. maybe a trend with it having occurred eight times uh, previously, but just a hunch. But I, I'll let you be, get to that. It could be a, it could be a record. I'm not sure yet. Uh, I actually found this at, of all places because I couldn't. I'm, I'm sure it's on the NHL's website, but I didn't spend a whole lot of time. I actually found a more interesting article. It's from uh, Fear the Fin. Uh, SB Nation blog for the San Jose Sharks, where not only do they list all the award nominees, but they whoever the writer is, his name would be C. Morley, S-I-E. I hope I'm saying that right. Yep. If not, I apologize. Uh, so uh, the exciting awards, the Ted Lindsay Award, outstanding players selected by the members of the NHLPA, 
And amazingly enough, these three names are the same as the Hart Trophy names. Uh, Leanne Dreisaitl, McKinnon, Nathan McKinnon, and Artemi Panarin. Uh, my interest here is that has Panarin done enough to win the win the Hart Trophy or the or the Lindsay Trophy? Uh, my my argument. I understand in his McKinnon. Favor, my argument in his favor is of those three players, which has the weakest support system, as okay. in the other players around him. Does that it's apply hands down to? Panarin. I'm going to say, does that apply to the Lindsay or to the Hart or both? Uh, or both? I, I I would have to say to both. I'm not. I don't expect. I don't expect him to win both. I would honestly be surprised if he won one of them. I suspect it's going to be Drysaddle uh, standing up both times. But I think the the season that Drysaddle has had, I could see Drysaddle and. McKinnon splitting these two. I think the heart's going to go to to Leon, but McKinnon may slide in. And the players may go with Nathan. I don't know. That I just when I saw Panarin's name on it, I was like, did they pick it out of a hat? I'm not trying to be mean here. He's a he's a fabulous player. He's fun to watch. But how did his name get thrown into yeah, I, I'm just thinking, are there other candidates or were they just trying to fill a role and, and they kind of killed two birds with one stone here because they were able to get a decent player off a mid, mid-level mid team stats-wise and, and I mean, rankings-wise. but The team's position isn't supposed to count for four individual awards and our Temi Panarin was third in points scored. Uh, I mean him and Pasternak tied at 95. No. Oh, okay. Um, so it's not like he was, he was 28th in scoring and I mean, the interesting thing there being that pasta did not get nominated for anything. I mean, yes, he won or co won the rocket, the rocket Richard trophy. But there's no nominee, no no nominations for the for the the pasta man here in Boston as far as any of these awards. So I, I understand where you're coming from with the support system being what it is in New York. So yeah, I can. I just I don't know. It threw me off when I saw his name as as going up there. Uh, you got the Calder, and we've discussed this many times over. Obviously, it's Quinn Hughes, Kale McCarr, the third one being Dominic Kubalik from Chicago. Uh, I, I think would have this put is... Leakins there, and I think he would have too. <laughs> yes, I just I think that at this point, yeah, it's either it's going to be one of the two defensemen and call it a day. I like Kubalik; he, he's put up some decent stats on a less than stellar team in Chicago, but less I, than I did, stellar. You're practicing your diplomacy again, aren't you? I am, yes. Uh, the third award, the Jack Adams Award, we've also discussed this literally like a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Cassidy, Tortorella, and Elaine Vigneault. Was it last week, maybe? Two weeks ago. It was last week. Last week. And it says here this award is at least 80% luck. Sounds like the 2019-20 Flyers. 
<laughs> I'm not sure if that's supposed to be a knock against the Flyers or a knock against the award or both or a knock my, against my the but <laughs> My guess 80%. is both because a lot of it comes down to how, how healthy is your roster. Uh, did your GM do anything useful uh, in creating a roster? But as we um, discussed, what Tortorella had to do with his team and the injuries to goaltenders and the injuries to Seth and the injury to Seth Jones. How do you da- you can't downplay that? Your number one defenseman goes down for multiple weeks. Mm-hmm. And you I believe Wierenski was down for part of that time too. I could be wrong. And, I, and Wierenski, I believe, was out yeah, because well. Wierenski had the shoulder injury. Yeah. I'm sorry, but. How you overlook Tortorella just to go to Elaine Vigneault is beyond me, but that's just... I'm not taking anything away from Vigneault. The Flyers are doing well, but I think that it should be Tort. Uh, Bill Masterson Trophy, we talked about this pre-show. Steven Johns from the Dallas Stars. Oscar Lindblom from the Flyers, we know his story. And Bobby Ryan from the Senators. Uh, This one is tough. This one is tough because what Lindblom's had to go through and make it back, and he's actually in—he's actually in on my Philadelphia story as well because he is actually making the trip to Toronto. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy who's—you uh, know—the tweet picture that they show in the article here from the Flyers says, "Fight, inspire, overcome, celebrate." Ring that bell, Oscar Lindblom. Uh, I think the end that picture is him ringing a bell as he's walking through the hallway of the the medical building where he is. I I originally thought it was going to be him, but Bobby Ryan's story is no less compelling. The no. difficulties that he's gone through. Um, I I would honestly have to give it to Bobby Ryan, particularly if I mean. We know that Bobby Ryan was has or had a great deal of talent. I'm not sure his struggles were visible except on the score sheet. Um, like I ne- when on the rare occasions he'd be interviewed, I didn't necessarily see signs of his off ice issues. Um, but the fact that he just decided to go out and finally, you know cut off the his demons heads and uh, burn the body salt the ashes and move forward and accomplish it and come back better looking better than he has in years I mean Bobby Ryan is what a 2004 draft pick uh, 2005 um, I was going to say he wasn't part of the 03 no um um, he was the same uh, same draft as Crosby, um, so I think it was two thousand four, either two thousand four or five. But regardless, he's on the shady side of thirty. He's thirty three. Um, he's had multiple injuries across the years, and the fact that he can come back and have a hot streak late in the year, having mostly not played 
across the year. Um, it's a really good sign if he can go into the off season. I mean, going into the off season, if he can keep his focus and get back to better state of physical conditioning, uh, going into whenever we start next year, uh, this fall or winter. Okay. He's, he actually got a chance to earn himself. Uh, well, I mean, he's got two years left on his contract. Mm-hmm. He can start redeeming some of that contract, which hasn't been very good uh, for the Senators. Um, and maybe, just maybe, put a down payment on an next contract. It might not be in in Ottawa, which I think most people are going to be okay with. But you know what? If he can come out next year and have a 30-goal season at in the season that he'll turn 34, that right there is a heck of a story, whether he wins the Masterton or not. I, I can't argue with that one. I mean, I'm looking at it. it he, he entered the player assistance program back on November 20th. Uh, the family issues, the alcohol issues that he's gone through, and for him to actually come back and be a productive member of the team, not just out there taking up ice time, but to come back and, and show this, the skill that made him a top draft pick many years ago. Uh, with Oscar Lindblom, it was the diagnosis of Ewing's sarcoma and the fact that on July 2nd, he was able to ring, as I said, the ceremonial bell. It's the Abramson Cancer Center at the hospital at the University of Pennsylvania. I wanted to get that out there. Uh, and you ring the bell to signify the end of your treatments. Teammates instead, and Kevin Hayes, it's inspiring. He puts a smile to your face, makes you realize your problems aren't as serious as they seem to be. What I don't want to do is I don't want to downplay Stephen Johns. His, big, his thing is that he was sidelined for 22 months due to post-traumatic headaches. It That's doesn't say ugly. what his post-traumatic headaches were brought about, how they were brought about. But suffering, as I do with migraines myself, and I know that you get them as well, mm-hmm. it's not fun to wake up some mornings or not be able to fall asleep some nights. The the halos and, and around the eyes and the, the auditory uh, issues. Everything is too loud, even a whisper. It, it's uh, to have to go through that for and, and to suffer through it for 22 months. And I mean, there are some players like Mark Savard who are still dealing with post-concussion symptoms and the headaches and the, and the, the, the shadows and the, the, the halos and everything else. It, I would never wish that on anybody. So for him to be able to go through that and make it back after 22 months and play in the NHL again, mm-hmm. his parents his parents were dealing with they they wanted to help. Uh, I think that all three are worthy of the award. Um, I don't think they could go wrong with any of them. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to be throwing anything at the TV when. Uh, the awards are announced if uh, if one of them doesn't win. Um, 
so I'm I'm completely okay with with this list. Uh, real quick, Lady Bing, outstanding sportsmanship, gentlemanly conduct. Got McKinnon again, Matthews, and oh, Ryan O'Reilly's first appearance for an award. Uh, league isn't going to give an award for gentlemanly conduct to a guy who sexually harassed a security guard or the guy who drove his truck into a Tim Hortons. Um, sure, or the, <laughs> I think the security writers. guard ones, the, that was all settled or dismissed or whatever. What was the Tim Hortons one? Who drove the truck into a Tim Hortons? Was it McKinnon? I don't remember that story. Yeah, I don't either. So, Vesna, we've talked about it before. Hellebuck, Rask, and Vasilevsky. Yep. Um, gotta be Hellebuck here. I know that you and I agree on that one. Are you sure? Oh, really? Okay, let's hear compelling arguments then. I'm just asking if you're sure it's got to be Hellebuck. I mean... Yes, I'm sure. Next. Yeah. <laughs> Keep moving. Oh, hey, this this is this Frank Award. Frank J. Sel- Sel- Frank J. Selke. Finalists are Ryan O'Reilly. He won it last year. Yep. Uh, Sean Couturier of the Philadelphia Flyers. And, I don't know, some guy named Patrice. Oh, wait, Bergeron. Yes. Um, I've heard of him. Well, as it says, if they aren't going to rename this the Patrice Bergeron Award, they might as well start being honest and call this the Face-Off Award. But maybe wait until he retires or something, because Couturier should win it this year, no question. Um, No. (laughs) I'm sure he's having a decent season. But I don't know that I'm ready to give it to Couturier just yet. Like uh, him. I, yeah. Not but, sure he's the best of those three this season, but okay. No. But okay. Uh, I think it's a tough. I think it's a tough race between Bergeron and O'Reilly this year, though. Uh, I think you. I think you probably have to give it to Bergeron just based on. Um consistency again you know of all of the players with all of all the forwards who took more than 1300 uh face-offs bergeron had the highest winning percentage um he also you know was on pace for another ridiculous uh goal scoring season for a guy who is a defensive forward um and he did it uh, having missed uh, a decent amount of time again. Yeah. Not a huge I'm, amount of time, but he still he still managed to put up 31 goals despite only playing 61 games, which isn't too shabby. Half a goal a game? Uh, I'm not complaining about that. Picked up a shorthanded goal. Um, solid See, power play contributions. That's the thing is it, it it's not just – when it's you make it about stats, off. it's not when it, but it's to me, it's not just, especially with that award, it's not just when you make it about stats. It's about the back checking, the plays that he makes that don't make a stat sheet. When you, yeah. when you back check and you break up a two on one shorthanded, you know, on the rush and, and, or even at even strength, when you're the first guy back and you beat the changing defenseman or, the defensemen who have some forward sitting on their back uh, in the offensive zone, um, and you're the guy who gets back, 
communicates with the goaltender and directs traffic uh, for the whole team uh, until everyone is back in the defensive zone or better still moving back up ice. Um, And I think that's the, to me, this award is almost, is probably 60% intangible or at least unstatable and 40% uh, stats. Uh, And I, I completely agree. And I I will make the argument again and again and again and again and again, probably until I keel over and maybe (laughs) a few days after I'm embalmed. Definitely after. That the heart trophy for best uh, or most most uh, valuable to their team should only be about 45 or 50 percent stats. And the other 50 percent needs to be the unstatable and intangibles. Absolutely. Speaking of heart, uh, again, same three names as the Lindsay Award, Dreisaitl, McKinnon and Panarin. We dove into that. So I the left the Norris for last uh, and the three finalists we got Carlson Hedman and Victor Hedman and Roman Yossi I love all three of these guys <laughs> they seem 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 to be in the mode of giving it to someone who hasn't won it before so perhaps uh, Roman Yossi well you've got Carlson Hedman has won it before yes now because he won it what last year or the year before so Hedman is now a Norris Trophy winner uh, John Carlson I don't believe has won it in uh, Roman yeah. the thing is and it says here Carlson having an unreal season and you have to agree he was having an unreal season statistically yep. he was a full 10 points ahead of Roman Yossi for all intents and purposes, he finished the season with the highest points per game average for a defender since 1994. It's a good year for a makeup win because there's no question he would have gotten it regardless. So, I mean, do you agree with that and just go with John Carlson because of what he's managed to put out there? Or <laughs> Roman Yossi doesn't have the surrounding cast that he's had in the past. See, he's my still- issue... Even as much as I've talked about John Carlson and liking John Carlson, Mm -hmm. is that that Capitals defense this year, even allowing for uh, inconsistency in net, it didn't look good. Even when John Carlson was on the ice, it never looked superior. Uh, whatever else you're going, you can say about Yossi and or Hedman, um, uh, they never look rattled. No. And they never look like they're being outplayed for an entire shift, particularly not and not certainly not in their own zone. Um, in fact, I think probably the only time both of either of those guys plays an entire uh shift in their own zone is on a penalty kill where the forwards are screwing up by the numbers. Um, So I like John Carlson in the mode of recent winners like Brent Burns and Eric Carlson. um, It wouldn't surprise me for him to take it. Um, But I don't know. I, I just. But is the, 
I just I I think what's really bothering me, and we brought it up with both the heart, we brought it up with the the selkie. Is this another award that should be less about offensive stat? There's no, there are measures for defensive stats. I mean, you can, you know, uh, out there for goals against, which I know is a goaltender number, but you can you can effectively take goals scored while the player is on the ice and have a a player goals against average of sorts. Uh, in fact, I'm sure somebody somewhere has already created it. Um, I just don't like making every single award about stats. I understand goal scoring award. It, it, it's about how many goals you put in the net. I get that. But that's what it's specifically there for. Best defenseman is a subjective title. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I think the award should be given less objectively as far as just stats as who scored the most goals, who scored the most points. There has to be some consideration for what that defenseman does outside of shooting on net all the time. Yes, no, maybe. Um, no, I, I, I completely agree. It's been my argument for years that, you know, the key word in defenseman is defense. Uh, de- defense? Um, they're not called offensemen. They're not called pointsmen. They're called defensemen. And that should be how they play the position as defensemen or defensively should be 70% or more of of the uh, of the award. Yes, that means that Brent Burns and Eric Carlson would never have won the award, and I'm okay with that. Um, I would even be okay with returning or tightening the definition uh, and description for the Norris and then adding an offensive defenseman award um, because I don't uh, think the I, defensemen in the league get enough credit. I can accept that. Call it the Bobby Orr Award. Yeah. Uh, I d- and I don't think since that anyone's re- going to complain about since that. Since he re- redefined the position with his offensive skill set. I, yeah, I say I, you I, have I a, Robert, call a Bobby Orr Award or, or a trophy or whatever you want to call it. And yeah. For the most offensive defenseman. And then you can take those offensive stats for a defenseman, put them to good use, and... Uh, that way you could yeah I I completely would I would be more than okay with that and now let's uh, let's run through the rest of our stories Um, you know uh, there's some similar themes going on in all of these cities Um, and for the next two that I'm going to talk about uh, it's uh, momentum the Dallas Stars, uh, for, for the Dallas Stars, the pause came at exactly the right time. Uh, it was like going into the bye week with something to think about and coming out with something to prove because they had lost six games in a row going into the pause. Damn. If there's a team and they have and they're not a young team. Um, no, that's they have, one thing that they, they're they, I'm imagining they're in win now mode. They are definitely in win-now mode. They've got multiple guys over over 30, a couple of guys over 35. 
even Tyler Sagan is now 28 years old. Um, and all of us remember that incredibly, uh, um, dramatic and just a nonstop stream of Tyler versus Taylor, uh, discussion in their <laughs> draft year. Um, for quite some time, yes. It, it, I mean, it went on for like 15 months before their draft. It was, uh, it was kind of staggering, but. With that six games lost in a row, there has got to be something to prove to the, uh, for this roster. They absolutely know that ha- that playing at half speed with four, five, six, seven passengers a night isn't going to get it done. Um, you know, based on the way they were playing they didn't really deserve the name Dallas stars cause they just weren't that bright. Maybe the Dallas candles, or if you're feeling really generous, the Dallas, uh, uh the Dallas, uh, mediocre flashlights, but they were not, they just weren't good. You, you don't lose six games in a row for any reason. If you're playing well, uh, even really bad teams win more, often than losing six games in a row. Um, so breaking that negative momentum, that really, really has to be uh, their top priority. Uh, they have to go out there and win every game because, hey, in the preliminary round, they they only have a couple uh, to prove what they're worth. And that's going to set, I mean, if they go out in the first round or second round, they've got five months again to sit still thinking about losing, <laughs> what, 10 out of 11 uh, that, yeah, or so that's, games? That's that's not going to do anyone any good. It's not going to do... Certainly not mentally, anyway. Not mentally. Um, it's not going to do anyone's wallet any good. Uh, that's That would be ugly. Uh, the Calgary Flames, yeah, equally, um, they've won one of their last 11 playoff games and momentum is a curious, curious thing. Some people believe in it. Some people don't. Um, I think there's a certain amount of emotional investment in it. And Matthew Kachuk, uh, is determined that the... Uh, that the team will be better because he refuses to continue to suck. It, it really comes down to <laughs> he refuses to continue to suck. Okay, he he is not willing to have this team uh, fail at, in the same way that it has the last couple of playoff seasons. And that team, you know, if you look around at the different uh, different stories. They're looking at some of their physical players because Kachuk and Lucic uh, and one or two of the other guys for leadership, Lucic having the cup ring. Um, Matthew Kachuk just determined that, you know, losing is not an option. Uh, his quote, I'm sick of losing, sick of losing in these first rounds. I know a lot of other guys are sick of losing who want redemption after last year. It's time to uh, for us to prove 
We're an elite hockey team. Uh, Matt, uh, Matt, love the desire. The re- recognizing the problem is always the first step towards solving it. But you're not an elite team if you can't win the playoffs. Sorry. Agree. So go out yeah. and prove. Go out and elevate. Go out and elevate. Um, one playoff win in their last 11 games. Terrible. Literally terrible. And the team will not look the same or even close to what it looks like right now if they go out easy uh, this year. If they make it to the Western Conference final, the teams get likely will just be slightly tweaked between now and the start of next season. If they go out preliminary round, first regular round, they need to say they when they when they get back to Calgary, they should be saying goodbye to each other because three, four, five players on that roster will not be back. Will not. Uh, will not. There's there. You can't leave a team together that doesn't win in the playoffs. It, it, you're just begging as a general manager. You're begging to be unemployed. <laughs> okay. And yeah, uh, I, 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 I can't see around that one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you're right. Begging to be unemployed is a good, uh, uh, statistical analysis or la- or non-statistical analysis. Um, here's the, uh, and then the last one for this set, uh, Florida in their last few games, they had a, they lost an overtime squeaker to the Boston Bruins and then, uh, down the Montreal Canadians and the defending Stanley cup, St. Louis blues in successive games. Unlike the last two teams I talked about, they went into the play. They went into the break uh, as positively as possible, uh, particularly for a team that's mm, a bubble team. No one was expecting them to really go too far. Um, I I find their potential. I, I think that if you're, we're looking at an Eastern Conference team for pure chaos to uh, the for pure chaos applied to expected outcome, it's yeah. probably these guys. Go ahead. Just as a just as a hunch, uh, just as that's a, a hunch. Oh, okay. It, it's a feeling. It, it's not anything stronger than a hunch. Fair enough. Uh, all right. One of the favorites to at least make some kind of a run, uh, the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, they went through a couple of, uh, good, bad scenario. They had Kel McCarr return to practice. Uh, it was nice to have him back on the ice. He was wearing a non-contact Jersey, but to get the rookie, the rookie of the year contender back was huge because they were actually playing Sam Gerard, who is normally his partner, had taken his place on the line. So he was playing with a with an unfamiliar uh, defense partner. And that's generally not a good thing when you're trying to 
restart and, and whatever chemistry you may have had with Kale McCarr is, is not there. Uh, McKinnon ended up not being present, but it turns out he's back as well. So nothing to get too hung up on there. They look good. McKinnon has actually come out and said that he expects that they're going to go far, win this thing. He, he They're basically a perfect team, and they've got no weaknesses. I think it's a little interesting that you would come out and say something like that. Uh, usually that ends up being locker room fodder at some point. Uh, but if you're the Hart Trophy, Lindsay Trophy nominee, can you make those statements and get away with it? They are a strong team. Uh, I think their question lies in in, in goaltending because Grubauer, his his playoff appearance with Washington was probably not something that he's writing home about. No, not unless it's a, a snoozy letter that includes a few dozen. Uh Words you're not supposed to say in church. Uh, on a on a family friendly positive note, Ian Cole did welcome he and his wife welcomed a healthy baby boy into their family. Uh, so if you're looking for uh, good news stories, there it is. That's something that the team can rally around. And one last thing is Connor Timmons, who's been missing and having he's had a tough couple of years in fact his quote is that it's been a tough couple of years haven't had a lot of opportunities to play a lot of games uh but he is finally healthy and is hoping to make a difference with the team he spent 40 games with the colorado eagles scored 27 points so he's looking like uh he's got an outside shot to uh, make some effect on uh, or have some effect on the Colorado Avalanche going forward. E- Excellent. Move, we're going to move from there slightly northeast or maybe a lot northeast, actually. Uh, Montreal, one of uh, one of our favorite coaches, uh, Mr. Claude Julien, has decided to bring um, Max Domi along. Uh, he's going to center the fourth line, but as we know, um, it's not the fourth line. Claude Julien doesn't like to number his lines. He is the center on one of four lines on the team, (laughs) if you ask Claude, and that's the way he puts it. Because the article starts out, is Max Domi a fourth liner? Or, as Coach Julian said Saturday, he's a guy who's playing center on one of the four lines. It's a brilliant thing. Um, Max Domi is, he can score. He's, he's he, he looks good on the ice. I don't think that it matters if... If Claude doesn't name his lines, doesn't say this is a fourth line, I know we, we get hung up on that. The Boston fourth line, the Merlot line. It, that's not a that's not a Claude Julian thing, though. So get over it. Let it go. He's the center. He's on the team. He's going to help you guys win. Uh, the other big thing with them is the youngster, uh, Jesperi Kotkaniemi, 
the 18, I believe he's now 19 years old. He's made the squad. He's going to Toronto. They've got him listed, or Claude has him listed as a center on one of the four lines as well. But there's been some pushback, and, and, and they're talking about it in blogs and, and podcasts up there in Montreal, that maybe he should spend more time on the wing, and that way he can spend more time viewing the whole game instead of worrying about the center role. And Because, yes, he plays center, but he's not a strong face-off kid. But that's yeah. going to take some working on it. But he needs to be able to envision the whole ice so that he can be the distributor as a center as well as being a good face-off guy, as well as being a goal scorer. And at 19 years old, that's a lot to ask. It is. Uh, my other team is Nashville. Yep. Uh, Nashville is looking ready. Uh, got a report on their last practice. And as you were saying, there was some physicality going on with uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Apparently, um, they've been throwing their physic. They've been throwing their weight around at the intra squad games as well. Uh, it looks like Dante Fabro, the young defenseman, was uh, getting picked on by uh, McCarron. I can't think of his first name, and I Jared. didn't write it down. Yes, uh, they were bumping each other, and, and McCarron was. Uh, getting a little more physical with Fabro than Fabro liked. Kyle Torres didn't like it. He decided to come over and, and kind of interject himself. And when asked, they, they, the defensemen look ready. Ryan Ellis says he's ready. Uh, the biggest question with that team is who is going to start in net. Mm-hmm. And it's not one that John Hines is ready to answer just yet. He's going to make his decision probably after their one exhibition game before the before the the qualifier rounds start mm-hmm. um, neither one of them really shined in the last inter-squad game that they had uh, and, and the final story is that the youngster Ellie Tolvanen who has been hyped and we got to see a little bit of him last season yep. haven't seen much of him this year He's actually not joining the team. He's not going to Edmonton. So, uh, not sure what to read into that. Maybe you just don't read anything into it, and he just—they—they're going with more of their veteran squad. Cool. Um, let's see. Last three on my list. Um. And these three are also a little bit themed uh, with some surprises. Um, where? Oh. The New York Rangers. Um, Henrik Lundqvist has been the fixture uh, in the blue shirts for over a decade. And it appears that there is now a power in front of the throne uh, and that Igor Shesterkin is the front runner uh, for uh, to start most of the games in well, the playoffs. Not a surprise, considering that 
prior to the pause, um, Quinn, Dan, Dave, Dave Quinn. Dave. Dave Quinn actually named Igor Shesterkin the number one. And then Igor Shesterkin turned around and I believe it was a car accident. And suddenly yeah, he was in a go, car accident. They had to go uh, back to uh, Georgiev. Georgiev and, yeah. But it's not surprising to me that that Shesterkin's going to be playing. I think having seen but all of them. that's only the projection because Quinn hasn't named a starter. As of as of early this morning, uh, when I was reading over stories, mm-hmm. no named uh, starter. Uh, Larry Brooks uh, suggests it will be <clears throat> it will be uh, Shosturkin. Um, Blue Line Station also reports that they're expecting it will be Shosturkin, and I think you and I both agree that it's likely. Which you know what, given the even though. Lundquist has a ton of playoff games under his belt and the other two have not very many. Um, it may just be time. Um, even if you end up going back to Lundquist uh, for a game five or a game four or whatever, getting those first couple of playoff games under the belt of uh, Shesterkin now are good for his career, regardless of what happens or, or where the Rangers finish. Okay. Um, the Winnipeg Jets are sort of bucking the trend of everyone's healthy. Uh, they have a not short list of guys who are going to, uh, who were injured as of yesterday. Um, Nikolai Ehlers, Brian Little, um, Batetto and then Harkins uh, were out uh, as of yesterday. Wow. And Ehlers and Little, those guys those play are, a significant portion. I was going to uh, say, those are the two biggest names out of the four you just listed. So <laughs> It's significant that they, they're going to be down two guys to start uh, the playoffs um, as things stand today. I, the articles I read didn't go too deeply into it. But I didn't get the impression that Ehlers and Little were going to be back for the first game, um, which is uh, worth noting. Um, let's see. We covered just about everything. So that's uh, two this time around. Last story, honestly, the biggest surprise to me um, is – out in Arizona, uh, the leader of the pack might just be gone. Um, it was reported a couple of weeks back that John Chaka was approached and given permission to talk to another team about uh, a position elsewhere. He was given permission in writing by the current owner of the uh, of the of the Coyotes. They talked. Apparently, the position sounded interesting to him. It wasn't a lateral move, um, so I'm guessing it would be president and GM uh, of uh, or whatever of uh, of some other franchise. Um, and then things got ugly when Cheka expressed uh, a little bit of interest in it. Um, 
Um, let's see. They, the sides discussed, and this is according to Friedman via Arizona Sports. Um, uh, a they discussed a transaction period where or transition period where Chaka would stay through the end of the of Arizona's season. Uh, Alex Morello um, and uh, and then there's the reports that Morello, his son, and CEO. Uh, Xavier Gutierrez uh, met with free agent to be Taylor Hall, and that John and that Cheka only found out about this days later, uh, despite the trio having made an offer, um, an offer to Hall. The big okay. question about this enormous question <laughs> is what the. H-E double hockey sticks was yeah. uh, Alex Morello thinking. Um, it's hard to call them the Golden Goose because they have not won yeah, a go, Stanley Cup go, yet. Go chase them down. <laughs> it, it's hard to call. It, it is hard to call them the Golden Goose because they have not won a cup yet. Right. But if there's any single person more responsible for anyone wanting the Coyotes to still be in Arizona over the last five or six years than Jonathan Cheka, I don't know who it is. I don't know who it is. I, he, he, he worked the CBA to the absolute benefit of the team, the league and the players. He's brought in big name players without having to do a great deal or get or, or mortgage the future. I mean, let's look at, let's look at some of those, some of the acquisitions for him. He got Phil Kessel, two time Stanley cup winner, number six overall in his draft class for what pennies. He got Taylor Hall first in his draft class for pennies. Um, yeah, I'm still he, amazed at that draft, but and that trade, <laughs> He got uh, he, he has managed to keep Oliver Ekman Larson in town uh, despite um, you know despite the fact that l- literally tw- uh, at this point 30 other teams would pay to uh, would pay a premium to add him to the roster um, what what are you doing literally? What are you doing? Um, uh, yeah, I'm I'm struggling to. I mean, answer it, that. There's got there's almost certainly more to the story, but based on what has come out, you gave written permission, not just a verbal "yeah, you can talk to him," but you gave written permission for a what is almost certainly a upward momentum move for for Cheka. Um, which in the NHL and in sports in general is one of those things where you don't stand in the way of someone who's uh, going after a, a, a bump up. Um, and then you go out and have uh, dinner and make an offer to a player, uh, a star player, without informing your general manager. I mean, the guy who's theoretically still your general manager, a couple of the stories asked 
point blank if Chaka was still the team's GM. And I do not get this one in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, no, I, I'm baffled. I'm, <laughs> I am, I, I don't have an answer for you. I'd love to come up with something, but I don't get it at all. For me, this is the biggest story since the CBA extension. Yeah. The biggest story. It would have to be. Uh, And I really, I'm amazed that this wasn't on the NHL network at all when I was watching yesterday. Um, This is not a story you can ignore. Whether you're, I know that a lot of those guys are Canadian. They don't like any of the uh, Sunbelt teams. And, you know, anything south of New Jersey is probably too far south for real hockey. But suck it up. This is a GM who's turned that team around on a shoestring budget um, and is building something or has built something viable for the future. And we're not even talking about this enormous rift that has been allowed to develop because someone appears to have acted not necessarily in good faith. I can say that Arizona would certainly miss John Jager. <laughs> Um, I, I don't know. I don't know that the, as I said, I think that the Arizona coyotes are in large part still in Arizona somewhere because of John Chaka. Yes. Your turn. All right. Three more, three more teams. Start off with, uh, the, uh, Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, big story here, and, and kind of broke it a little earlier, but Oscar Lindblom will be joining the team, and he's heading. That's got to be huge. I'm sorry, but anybody who the, what he's gone through and to be able to join the team, it doesn't specify ice time, playing time. Uh, Sam Carcidi says that he's been a champion throughout everything that's going on but to just be with the team has got to be a lift in and of itself yeah if uh, somehow it's got to be it's got to be inspirational on some level I'm not saying that it's going to drive them all the way to a Stanley Cup I'm not saying that it certainly couldn't um Claude Giroux seems to think that the team is in a great spot for a playoff run. He says they're just good everywhere. And in some ways he may be right because Carter Hart is back. He returned and he's going to join the team. Uh, he missed their last, he missed the scrimmage, uh, apparent back spasms, but he's back. Uh, my concern with Claude Giroux's statement is that while they're just good everywhere is that just good enough they've got the they've got 
decent defensemen, but I think they're thin. Yes, they got Provorov. Gostisbehere is not going to be playing. So you've got Provorov, you got Hag, you've got... Uh, I can't remember all of their six defensemen's names, and, and mm-hmm. I challenge you to do it without looking it up. <laughs> I think they're going to put forth a really solid effort. I don't know that they're going to make a deep run. Uh, it's going to be as deep as, as Carter Hart and the defense can can get them because they do. They have Couturier. They have Giroux. They have uh, Joel Faraby is apparently making the trip on the last article that I saw. Uh, Nate Thompson is, is a possibility as well. They've got decent forwards. They got Kevin Hayes. It, my concern is the back end, and that's what's going to hold them up. How far they can go is the back end. I think Carter Hart is the real deal at this point in time. No reason not to believe him, but it's that defense that that worries me. Uh, I I can uh, I can see where that would be the case. Um, in fairness to the Flyers. They finished uh, fourth overall in the Eastern Conference, and they gave up uh, less goals than the Washington Capitals, who <clears throat> I may have mentioned didn't have a great defense this year. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, so the last two teams we've got were last year's uh, Stanley Cup finalists. Uh, so we'll start out with St. Louis. Uh, the Stanley Cup champions. Uh, there are no surprises on there. There are no surprises with the roster that they're taking. The big thing is that uh, Vince Dunn was still has not returned to the team, but apparently will be traveling to the bubble. He hasn't played, yep. but he's healthy, which is huge for them. Uh but there aren't any unexpected names not on the roster. They're taking three goaltenders. So they've added an extra defenseman, if I'm not mistaken, uh, going by the count. But Ruby seems to think that they're in a good space. The thing is that they just need time to get together. They had a lot of players who were out uh, during phase three that, that, that had tested and, and weren't playing weren't exercising weren't working out so they're a slight they're a little bit behind he just seems to think that the team needs to get out there and work and play and they're going to be fine uh, Barubi has all the confidence in them there isn't anything that i can see reported that would give me pause to not expect them to do well and they're returning basically the same squad They've added Jacob Delarose from the Red Wings. Uh, I don't know the, how much of an effect he's going to have, but it can't hurt the situation. He can still put the puck in the net. I like their chances. I don't think they're going to repeat. Uh, repeating is just such a tough thing to do in the NHL. I know it's been done recently with the Penguins, but it, I don't expect that there's going to be a repeat here. Uh, they no. just, they just, they just look like, and Baruby has come out and said it that they just need time on the ice. The other big story is that for the first time in a long time, Tarasenko's name has appeared on the active roster. 
That is one that I actually missed. I mean, we had our own list. Uh, Vladimir Tarasenko is on the roster. He's on the 31-man playoff roster. Excellent. And that's and 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 they'll be able to showcase him Wednesday night in their first exhibition game because they're actually showing it on TV. <laughs> Ooh ha! And of course we have the the home team, the Boston Bruins. Uh, lots of non well one huge non related story to the what's going on is the whole Tory Krug thing. And the stories that are coming out that he may be playing his last cup run in Boston. I can't imagine that stories like this help any kind of camaraderie. Uh, I I don't know why he hasn't been resigned. I don't know what the hiccup is, if it's money, if it's term. But I, I would think he just wants to go play in his hometown. He wants to go play for the Red Wings? <laughs> Maybe he has, you know, maybe he, maybe he, in a couple of weeks he's going to tweet, uh, tweet out a picture of him in, like, his Red Wings pajamas. Uh, Stop. Just like John Tavares. No, I can't see Tory doing that. I'm sorry. He may want to play for his hometown team, but I can't see him going in his pajamas and everything. Uh, but that, that seems – that's the big thing around here is, is what's going to happen with Tory Krug. Is, is this his last cup run with Boston? I don't know that I, I I vaguely remember reading that Tory Krug didn't want to discuss contract once they started playing again. He wants to be able to focus on on his time on his time on the ice on his playing. I think they need to figure this one out. The other issue is Pasta is joining the team, but it was a question as to whether Andre Kasha was going to be joining the team as well. He's still listed as unable to participate, and they know they have to make decisions. They haven't, as of the time that I looked up, they hadn't made a decision whether they're leaving him off the 31-man. But if this is something that's going on, I don't know what's going on. I like Andre Kasha. This is not a good look for him. I don't know if he's sick. They haven't listed anything. There's no cause as to why he's not there whether he's tested positive, whether he's being punished, whether he's just decided not to show up, there's no news. So there's no way to react to what's going on except that he's not there. Um, And the names that were bandied about as far as replacements, uh, Anders Bjork and Jack Studnika. Although I saw somewhere that it wasn't Studnika, but it was Frederick who was actually going to be taken. But that's unconfirmed. I'm still trying to find something to confirm that. Well, we will know in a couple of days. Um, what uh, What else do we have on the board this week? I don't have anything else on the board this week except to say hockey is returning. <laughs> awesome in that case uh let's uh say goodbye and thank you everyone for listening um playoffs will be starting uh we will i will certainly be watching at least two or three of those so. games next week <laughs> um i will try and get back on twitter a little more often 
Um, I think I that will... goes without saying with games starting up, though. You usually you're pretty good about tweeting once when there's active games going on. Absolutely. It was only it was only during the pause that the tweeting slowed. Uh, maybe I can. Uh, Maybe I can uh, find a couple of good jokes for my uh, friend Ty Anderson. Um, ladies and gentlemen, have a great week. Uh, hockey is coming. Hockey is coming. Hockey is coming. Uh, take care. <laughs>